greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is Call to War, video briefing number five. The Lord is calling to his people. The Lord is drawing his people, moving his people, motivating his people to pray. The Lord is doing his best to get our attention. He's allowing things to happen in the earth that's supposed to give us reasons to pray. So many of the people that I've been raised around and with are need-based prayers. They pray their best when they have a need. God knows this, and so our Father makes sure that we have plenty of needs to pray for. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord has promised not to put anything upon us greater than we can bear. That means if we're not going to let him use us to pray for his burdens, if we're not going to join with him in his yoke and let him pray through us for his burdens, then because he loves us so much and he knows how important it is for us to pray, he will assure that we always have plenty of burdens of our own we have to pray for. Again, he promised not to put anything on us greater than we could bear. So if we take upon his burden, uh, if we take upon ourselves his burden in by joining with him in his yoke, he is not going to place a many, many personal burdens upon us because he wants our focus to be his burdens. He will do whatever's necessary to get our attention. We're living in a very troubled world right now. Very troubled world. And the Lord is allowing things that are happening to the world to happen to the church too. Why is that? Because he wants you to know what kind of house you're living in. And he wants the world to see what kind of house you're living in. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 13, I'm going to read several verses here. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth evil fruit. 
Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. What heavy, heavy words, but it's about to get heavier. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Well, if that's true, by my fruits, I know me. By the focus of my life, if I could be honest with myself and truly let the Lord shine his light upon me, and I could be honest with myself. What kind of fruit is the Lord producing through my life? Is it spiritual fruit? Is it fruits of carnality? Uh, is my focus God, his word, his kingdom, his plan, his purpose, his promises? Or is my focus trying to get God to make my life as pleasant as possible? trying to get God to make my life heaven on earth. Well, I'm here to tell you something, friend. There is not one promise in the word of God that God's ever promised to make this heaven for us. In fact, he said in the world, you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He preceded those two statements with, My peace I uh, give you, my peace I leave unto you. That's John 14, but John 16 he says, in, uh, in me, you might have peace, but in the world, you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So he wants us to have his peace, but he also wanted us to know that his peace is independent of this world's circumstances. And this peace is in him, not in this life. And therefore, here we are, and so many of us are praying for God to make our lives pain-free, problem-free, pressure-free, when his purpose is to do exactly that, the opposite of that. Why? Why? Because God didn't save you and I to give us a better life. He didn't save us to make us better people. He saved us to make us him after his purpose molded and conformed into his image. He has saved us for his purposes, for his kingdom's sake, regardless of what we may have to go through for his kingdom to be fulfilled through us. Therefore, he says, not everyone that said, this is verse 21, not everyone that saith unto unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out devils? In thy name have have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And what is iniquity? Jesus just told us. Those that don't do the will of his Father are not going to be saved. And so if I'm not doing the will of his father, I am working iniquity. And he said, I'm going to profess to them, I never knew you. And the Greek word there means, I didn't know you in an approved relationship. God knows everything. Of course he knows us. He knows everybody. He knows everything. So the word here that Jesus is speaking cannot be, I had no knowledge of you. 
So the Greek word means I have you you and I never had a relationship that I approved of. Why? Because like so many people, we have divided our lives up into the spiritual and the secular, and we seek the will of God, hopefully for the spiritual, but the secular is ours to run, ours to decide. That's not acceptable with Jesus. I don't care what any preachers ever said, what any church or organizations ever said. That is not acceptable with Jesus. It's right here in his word. It's not acceptable with Jesus. And then the next verse starts this way, verse 24, therefore. So whatever he's about to say is based on all the stuff I just read, but especially talking about our fruits and whether or not our fruits are done in, for, and by the will of God rather than in, for, and done, and by our own will. And of course, whatever I do by my own will is carnality. Whatever I do by the will of God, by the empowerment of the Spirit of God to do the will of God is spirituality. The fruits of those two are very different. Paul said to be carnally minded is enmity with God. The Greek word there is hostility. It's open hostility with God. So when I decide that I'm going to be a good Christian and I'm going to do it by my will, by my opinions, and by my strength, that's carnality and it's enmity with God. So the Lord because he loves us, and because he loves the lost of this world. He's already hung on a cross and died for the world so that they would have a chance to be saved, so that everyone would have a chance to be saved. No one is going to be able to say, now or in eternity, you didn't give me a chance. Nobody. So based on these words that I've read, therefore, whosoever Heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. And what is that? What sayings? The ones about fruit? The ones about entering into the straight gate? The ones about fruitfulness and what our fruit reveals about us and our walk with God or lack of thereof? Uh, and whether or not we are living by the Father's will and not our own will? And notice going back to, to that one more time. They had results, they had supernatural results, they had supernatural demonstration, and the Lord said, I never have approved of our relationship. That's pretty heavy there. So he says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So for every person that claims to be a Christian, God 
has just told us that we will have rain come in our lives, that winds will blow against our lives, and floods will come into our lives. And the purpose of that is so that we either stand or fall. Now, he doesn't make us fall by allowing it to rain, by allowing floods to come, by allowing winds to blow. Our house fell because we chose to build on the shifting sands of our will, our opinion, and our flesh trying to be a Christian. Now, for those of us that choose to do the will of the Father, to build our house on the word, uh, our lives on the word of God, not what we think the Bible says, but searching the scriptures daily to see what the Bible says. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. John 5, 39. We are, we are encouraged by him, instructed by him, commanded by him to study his word to find out what it says. Why? Because if we're not building on truth, the truth of what the Bible actually says, we're building on a rock. And the implication from all of this chapter seven that I've read to you and chapters 5, 6, and the rest of 7 that I have not read today, all of which comprises what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible doesn't call it that, uh, but man put that kind of little title above the beginning of chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And uh, the Lord is speaking to people. He's teaching people. But when you get down to verse 7 or chapter 7, what we call chapter 7. He didn't call it chapter 7, but we call it that for reference sake. When you get into that, he's dealing with some very heavy things. Am I looking for an easy way to get to heaven, the broad way? Or am I willing to take the narrow way, the straight way? That's not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, meaning straight. It is S-T-R-I-S-T-R-I-G-H-T. R-A-I-T, which means a narrow way. The Greek word is actually a narrow way. It's not a broad way. It's a narrow way. That's why the the contrast there is is not between uh, a straight road and a curvy road. That's not what it is. It's between a narrow way and a broad way. And there are those that want it to be very broad, meaning they can live anywhere from one at one border to the other of it, and there's whatever. The implication is with a straight way, there's just enough room for us to get through. God does not give us multiple choice questions that we get to pick the answer we like and live that way. He doesn't do that. He's not doing that. And then he talks about this fruit, the fruit that is the proof of what we are and not. Are we just really good little religionists who go to church and pay their tithes and and, and, and dress right and look right and and, and talk right and, and obey the pastor 
And the rest of the time, when we're not actively involved in that, we run our own lives. That's not what he's called us to be. That's not what he's called us to be. And then he got really heavy before he got to the therefore and talked about those that were the difference between those, even those who looked spiritually successful, but were not doing the Father's will. They called him Lord, 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 for emphasis. And the scripture says no man could call him Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So if they're calling him Lord and he didn't refute that, And since he was talking about that day, he's not wasn't talking about the day he was living on the earth during the Gospels. He was talking about that day, which is that future day, the day of judgment. So he's talking to people that had the Holy Ghost. And the, the, the supernatural works through them proves that they had the Holy Ghost. And their emphasis on the name of Jesus in verse 22 demonstrates they probably had a revelation of the oneness of God and were baptized in Jesus' name, but they never surrendered their will to him. They lived by religion. They lived by tradition. And they never studied his sayings to find out what he said. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And, of course, we know by uh, by uh, uh, analogy, Jesus is the rock that we are built upon, and he is the word made flesh. And then those who built their lives on sand are those who built their lives on tradition and on religion and on opinion. And, you know, I think, I think, I want, I like... I will, and believing that somehow God is okay with that. I beg of you to hear me right now. He is not okay with that. He said it. Then will I profess unto them. That is a declaration. The word there in the Greek profession is a declaration. I'm going to declare, I never knew you. Depart from me. That word there, according to the scholars, that depart from me is a statement of command and final finality of severance. Casting out permanently. Why? Because you worked iniquity. And what is iniquity? Living by your will and not the will of my father. Oh, but I do the will of God. That's what they were arguing. But, but Lord, look at what all we've done. We've done your will, yes. And there are a lot of good people who seek the will of God in the spiritual part of their life and make all their own decisions in the other part of it. And the idea that's acceptable to God is an absolute lie from the pits of hell. And we need to repent because our soul is at stake. So he said, He's going to allow, he's going to allow the rains, the floods, the wind to come. Because the fruit is for our indication. So we can know ourselves by that fruit. Are we doing the works of the flesh? Or is the fruit of the spirit being manifested through us? Are we living and, and, and for the temporal world and all of our prayer and focus is on God blessing us here and now? Or is our focus the kingdom of God and the eternal? 
Herein is our Father glorified that we bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And that's not talking about just fruit of the Spirit. That's talking about being involved with his kingdom. So he died on the cross to save mankind. And I think I can be saved not being a part of that and never being used in that. Come on. Come on. In your heart of hearts and my heart of hearts, we know better than that. But our religion has told us we don't have to do that. Just be faithful to church. Just live holy. Just pay our tithes. Obey the preacher. And the rest of the time, as long as we're not doing too bad of stuff, okay, okay. We can put all kind of stuff as a priority. You know, it's easy to justify all kind of things in our lives. Because we're really good little Christian religionists. I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm trying to get you to wake up for me to wake up. I'm trying to let the light of gospel shine into my heart and shine into your heart through me at this moment. In Jesus' name. The other reason why he lets the rains come and the floods rise and the winds blow is so that the world can see what's true and what's not true. Because in their opinion, it's all a sham. It's all built on the sand. Well, it's one thing to say, I'm a Christian and I trust God. It's another thing to walk that in front of people. I mean, how could a good God let his people be persecuted? How could a good God let some of his people be murdered? Because he knows that none of this is about here and now, that this is all temporary, and that he needs the world to see what's real. So, how do I not just survive but thrive when it's raining? How do I not just survive but thrive when it's flooding? How do I not just survive but thrive when the winds are blowing? First of all, I have to search the scriptures to know what's in there and submit to the word of God, which is the revealed will of God in general principle. And then also to the Holy Ghost of God and the peace of God as it guides me every day, moment by moment, in his will. And if I do that, it doesn't matter what the outward circumstances are. I will stand. Why did Paul become Saul become Paul? Well, it really started one day as he stood and held the coats of those that stoned the man of God, Stephen, to death. And Stephen died such a great death, such a peaceful death in, in spite of the, vi- the violence against him, without bitterness, without anger, without rancor, even praying for those that were treating him such, that it smote this young man Saul in the deepest part of him. And he tried him his best to eradicate that. Because what he felt and heard that day challenged everything he thought about God. Everything he had built the foundation of his life upon. He was now challenged because he didn't know any of the people that were living like him. 
and like he'd been taught that could die like that. He didn't know anybody could die like that. So he had to try to eradicate that to justify and continue to live like he was. But it was his, it was his hunger, his desperation to, 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 to uh, validate and vindicate his faith in putting the Christians in jail and having some put to death that God saw the true reason and motive is at heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus with a bright light and his face and his voice and called him. And what was the call after that day, that day, three days later, Ananias comes to the house where Saul is and Ananias was told to tell Saul, all of the great things that he was chosen to suffer for the Lord's name. He's going to suffer for the Lord's name. Now, what a call. You can't preach that on TV and get people to give you thousands of dollars, can you? It's not possible. All you out there in TV land watching, yeah, send me $1,000 because God is going to bless you with suffering like you can't imagine. Come on, join up with us. No. No, doesn't work, does it? No, we have to preach, uh, you know, you're going to get something for nothing. And you can be saved, don't have to change. You just pay, put your money in here. And it's going to be blessed. And you're going to get all of your wishes because this is what the occult does. The occult makes deals like that. That's a strong statement, isn't it? I'm not taking it back. That's what the occult does. That's what the devil does. He bargains with you. Give me yourself and look at all I'll give you. Isn't that the approach he took with Jesus? Just bow down and worship me just for a moment. It's not a big deal. And I'll give you all these kingdoms without the cross. All those kingdoms were going to be Jesus. But he had to go through the cross to get them. But here's Lucifer, Satan, the adversary, the enemy. He's offering Jesus all these kingdoms without a cross. And that's exactly what so much of the church world is doing today. They're making salvation available without the cross, without the book. They're making blessings from God available without the cross, without the book. Now, those of us who've got our house built on the sand, on the rock, we're not... We're not believing that stuff. We know there's no salvation without the cross, without the blood, without the book. There's no salvation without that. There is no book-free revival. There is no book-less revival. Last year, I had the strangest of dreams. I was... uh at a meeting of uh, some very high-powered men. Don't know why I was there, but in this dream, I was there. And it was uh, one of the ministries of the organization that I participate with, and they were promoting revival, promoting revival. And, uh, and to, get that, to get us to head in the right direction, we got brother so-and-so here, and uh, 
in the dream, I knew his name. When I woke up, I didn't know his name because it wasn't about an individual. But he was one of our foremost evangelists, whoever he was. And uh, he he was he had been brought in by this this division to uh, to to tell us how to have this uh, this great revival. It's going to be the greatest revival we've ever had. And he said, and the theme of this revival is, and he held up a shirt. And I want all of you to get one of these shirts and wear it so we can promote this. And across that shirt, it said, book free revival. And I stared in the dream. I stared at it in shock. I knew these men. They were good men. I, I, I thought they were men that love God, but they're all cheering how awesome this is to have this book-free revival and something snapped in me. And I've never reacted like that in a dream before. I completely lost it in this dream. I am screaming and yelling, never, 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 never. I will never participate in a book-free revival. I will never participate in a book-free revival. Never. And I woke up. It was very sobering. I can feel it right now today. Can you? Never. I'm never participating in a book-free revival. I don't care who the name brand is that's promoting it. I don't care what organization is promoting it. I don't care what division's promoting it. I don't care how, how great they've learned all this from the church world. You know, the church world that is making things cheap and convenient. Cross-free, book-free revival does not exist. God so desperately wants his people to humble themselves and pray and seek his face that he is allowing things to happen in our world that are very disturbing. Why? Because if prayer is not our first and foremost priority, everything in our lives is totally devalued if we are prayerless people. And I include prayerlessness being those who pray religious prayers, who pray prayers of obligation, who pray prayers of commitment. Yes, I made a vow to be married to my wife, but it didn't take very long for those vows to be secondary. Yeah, yeah, I made a commitment, but I, I choose her. She chose me. We're not in this because we have to be, because we made a vow. We're in this because we have given ourselves, according to the word of God, one to another completely. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are things we're expected to do. There are things we're supposed to do. Are we supposed to pray? The book says, he that knew it, that knoweth to do good. And doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if I'm prayerless, it's sin. 
And if my only prayers are prayers of iniquity, give me, do this, change this, fix this, uh, uh, and, and it all has to do with my life and my, and my temporal life. And it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God and it has nothing to do with affecting eternity because it, the prayers affect the destination of lost souls. They're prayers of iniquity. I'm praying my will and not the Father's will. I include all of that in the, under the banner of prayerless and how sad it is to be considered by God to be prayerless, even though I pray every day. God help us. Not only is everything in my life devalued without prayer as my priority, but everything in my life is neutered and becomes spiritually impotent without prayer as my priority. There is nothing in this, in our, in the, in all of the Bible, nothing in this whole thing called church and religion and faith and walk with God. Nothing, no part of this that more directly reflects my submission and the prior submission to the will of God and the priority that the will of God has in my life like prayer demonstrates. By your the, our fruit, we're known. Well, it's the fruit of the priority that we put on prayer that determines how submitted we are to the will of God. If prayer is my, not my uh, priority, I can say all I want to say. I submit to the will of God. Well, it's the will of God for us to pray. First and foremost, it's the will of God for us to pray. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We don't seek for the additions. We seek for the kingdom. But if we're not seeking for the kingdom, if we're seeking for our kingdom, because it's not his will we want done, it's our will we want done. Well, doesn't the word of God say he will give me what I want? Yes. Yeah. But let's read the context of every one of those. How about John 15, verse 7? If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. You shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Well, of course I can ask what I will. Because if if I abide in him, he abides in me, his word abides in me. What's going to be my will? His will. I'm going to be praying for his will to be done. Because I don't have a will. I've surrendered my will to his will. Well, of course he can say I can ask anything. But. How often are those verses and other like them perverted as I, I get whatever I want from God? Yeah, you can. You can press God. He'll give you what you want. Has God got it what he wanted? He didn't want to die. Got another 15 years. Oh, my friend. Him and his legacy and his family and the and Israel would have been a whole lot better if he'd have died as the saved great king that he was, but it wasn't his will. He didn't want to die. He was enjoying being king too much. That was the test, you see. The test was, have you been doing all this for yourself or for me? Well, it started out for God. It was all for the kingdom of God. It was all for the the glory of God. But somewhere in there, it became for him. So when God tested him to see what it was about, he proved what it was about. 
He proved it. He did not give himself to God. I don't want to die. The man of God just said it's the will of God for you to die. You got two weeks. Get ready. I don't want to die. Okay. Okay. Those 15 days I gave you, that I gave you, are now 15 years. And uh, you're not going to like the outcome. You're not going to like it. Why? Because it's the will of God. This is why the Holy Ghost has spoken to me to be a conduit for him to call his people to prayer, to repentance, and then ultimately to warring against the spirit of iniquity, which is the spirit of his age. The Lord has instructed me to ask those at will to, for every church to pick at least one day a month from March through September and have a 24-hour prayer chain that day and fast that entire day, just one day each month as a part of this. You can do more if God leads you to do it, but as a part of this effort, I'm only asking, the Holy Ghost is only asking for one day from March through September. What is the purpose of this six months? Repentance. There can't be revival without repentance. There can't be people saved without conviction. And until we, the body of Christ, come under conviction of our sins, not just the stuff we call sin, but the stuff he calls sin, until we, the body of Christ, come under conviction for our sins, the Lord cannot use us to see conviction in the lives of others. Just like the young man Saul was convicted as he watched them stone Stephen to death, the world will be con convicted of those of us who are repented and revived and go through whatever's going on in this world or what goes on he allows to go on in our lives. And we do it with grace and with love and without bitterness and with faith and with trust while we pray for others and not ourselves, while we seek God to save the lost rather than save us from these circumstances. The scripture says, in your patience possess ye your souls. The Greek word there, and I can't pronounce it, I, this is my pronunciation of it, is hupomene. It comes from two root words. It means to, to stay under. In your patience you possess ye your souls. What is it we do with prayer? We, we want to pray ourselves out from under every test, every trial. But patience, the patience in which we possess our soul, is prayer that gives us grace to go through whatever the Father has allowed for as long as the Father allows it. And when he's done with it, he will change it. Because our prayers is not for God to fix everything we don't like, change everything we don't like, give us everything we want, undo everything that is broken in our opinion. Our call is for his kingdom to be the focus of our prayer, for the, for his word, his name, his will to be done in the earth, for his, for souls to be saved. That's our purpose. That's our calling. But we can't do that without repentance. We have got to repent. 
We've got to repent of our iniquity. We've got to repent for, for making God our servant and giving him our to-do list every day that we want him to do. He's God. We're not. He says what we're supposed to do. We don't tell him what to do. We submit to what he wants to do. And then, as a part of this effort, in October, if we have repented, if we have repented of our iniquity, if we have submitted ourselves to the will of God, in that place of submission to the will of God, then we can use the authority of God and the adversary has to listen. The adversary only listen to us, listens to us in direct proportion to the degree to which we are submitted to God. He doesn't have to obey us, except in proportion to how much we obey God. He doesn't have to submit to our words and our authority, except in proportion to how submitted we are to God's authority. And then finally, uh, we go back. So in October, the first three weeks of October, asking every church that will, the Holy Ghost is asking every church that will, to fast one day a week and do round-the-clock prayer for that one day a week. And then the last week of October, 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th, Tuesday through Friday night, the Holy Ghost is asking for everyone that will, everywhere that will, to go to the church and pray. How long, Brother Wright? How long do you want to pray? How long do you want to pray? I will be, as I have done in Call of War in the past, I will be streaming directed prayer from Antioch. I, I don't, I'm not asking, and the Holy Ghost is really not asking anybody to come here to pray here with us. The focus is to get as many people to pray in as many groups and locations throughout the world as will. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. That's the goal. It's for everyone that will to pray where they are for that entire week. And so for the month of October, in those three weeks of one day of prayer and fasting and round-the-clock prayer, uh, we're going to be warring against the spirit of iniquity, as Second Thessalonians 2 says we're supposed to be doing as the conduit for the restrainer. The restrainer, the one who is not, the one is withholding, the one who is not letting, according to the King James. The Greek word is restrain there. We're the conduits for that. And we're supposed to be letting him do that through us. So for the month of October, because of six months of repentance and revival, because we come under conviction, now we can pray with conviction and pray with fervency and pray with faith and pray with authority because we're submitted to God's authority and we will see things change in the earth. So I'm asking you to consider doing that. If your church does not want to stream the directed prayer, that's no problem at all. The idea is just that we would gather and pray. Again, some would ask, how long? <laughs> I'm not putting a time limit on that. You put the time limit on it. You, chi- you choose how long. Ideally, let's let Jesus choose how long. I believe he will direct us when to go to the building and when to pray, start praying. I believe he will direct me 
when to start streaming the directed prayer. It'll be sometime the evenings, I guess. Not saying it couldn't start earlier than that. Don't know how long it's going to go. An hour, two, three, four, all evening, all night. I don't know that. All I do know is this. The Spirit of the Lord has to be in control, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. My friend, I'm, I'm so concerned for the church today. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And they're laying down palms for him to, for the donkey, the colt he's riding on to walk upon. They're throwing down coats and palms on the street so that he's walking on that, not on the dirt or the whatever the road surface was. And the priests and the Pharisees came out and said, shut them up. And he said, if they hold their peace, the rocks will take their place. The rocks will cry out. I don't, I don't know about you, but at 74, I've been a part of this too long to be replaced now. I'm not going to be replaced. I'm not going to be replaced. Some It may not matter to others if they're replaced, but I believe God has made promises of a worldwide apostolic revival, end-time apostolic revival and harvest of proportions that we have never, we can't conceive of. Somebody's going to be used to do that because God swore with an oath to Abraham he was going to do that. I'm not going to be left out of that. Whatever part he has for me, it's fine with me. If my part is just to pray and nobody even knows I'm praying, he knows, that's all that matters. I want to be a part of that. So the question, my friend, is, do you want to be a part of it? How much do you want to be a part of it? Enough to lay down your life, as he said. Enough to follow him and do his will every moment of the day, as he taught. Or do you are you so married to religious tradition that you don't want to? You're not willing to give up that. Well, you make your own choice. And the beauty of me sitting here talking to the business end of this camera, even though I know in my spirit and feel the Holy Ghost talking to people, I don't see your face. I don't know who you are. So as I'm saying the words that the Holy Ghost gives me to say to you, my friend, I'm not talk, I'm not the one talking to you. The Holy Ghost is talking to you. So the idea is this. What are you going to do about it? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray upon you and myself and upon the church of the living God, the spirit of grace, the spirit of prayer, the spirit of supplication, the spirit of warfare intercession, the spirit of travail intercession, the spirit of thanksgiving, that we might pray those prayers of the will of God for us to pray, that we might do the will of God which is first and foremost every day, that prayer will be our priority. Not just any prayer, but kingdom prayer. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to watch this. Amen. 